We're going to 1 John chapter 3, verse number 10 today. We're working our way through this chapter. We are studying Christian fitness and talking about the daily essentials we need in our Christian walk. So how's your week gone? Last week, the week before, for the last four weeks, we've dealt with some pretty, pretty heavy material. You are to be like Christ. Is that true? Be like Christ. How did your week go? Find it a bit challenging, maybe? But here's my big question is, did you remember? Day after day, or perhaps sometime during the week, that we are to be like Christ. Did it change your decision you had to make? Did it shape the way that you approached today? The way you thought through things? Would you say this? Here's my big question for you this morning. Would you say that this week, you are more like Christ than you were last week? See, fitness programs are never easy, are they? Christian fitness programs, which we're studying here to be like Christ, that's not easy either. But that's why we're here. We are told to learn this, and we have a very merciful and faithful God who didn't leave you this week, did he? And he will not leave you this next week either, as you learn to be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in this passage, we are to be pure as he is pure, right? And it also says that we are to be righteous as he is righteous. And those things we've been called to do. So, go back to the things we have learned so far. The very foundation of us being able to be like Christ is because we are loved. We saw that in verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's good news. That's the foundation. That gives us just a place to start right here in the Christian walk and to be like Him. We must belong to that family. And we do. We are loved. And, and John makes that point. Behold, now we are children of God. That's good. We also learned this along the way that our future is stated in verse number 2, we shall be like Him. There is no question mark in verse number 2. None. There's no, I hope so, in verse number 2. It's a reality. When we see Him, we shall be like Him. Right? Like Him. So, that's our future. And in between those two points, for the last two weeks, we've talked about this. We must maintain our focus. Our focus, even though the verses are hard, especially being pure as he is pure, and these rather incredible statements about everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and no one who abides in him sins, and these are hard verses, but the focus in it is on him, not on us. We must abide in him, right? That's the only answer. Abide in Him. That's what we're called to do. Keep our focus on Him. And so, we've talked through this, and now we're moving to topic number two. There are three in our study here of daily Christian essentials. One, like Christ. We need that reminder every single day. We must be like Him. Two, love brother. 
That's where we start today, in verse 10 through verse number 17, and we're going to get to live truth. And that will be from verse number 18 on through verse number 24. But I'll start with this, as we're about to begin here, which is, uh, which of these three, live truth, like Christ, love brother, which is in third place as important? Uh, Think about that for a minute. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning, especially as we open up your word and seek to understand it. Uh, Lord, it's more than just uh, the ink and the letters on a page, but it's a living word. And it's set forth from you, and it always accomplishes what you desire it to do. And we want to be willing participants in the work that you are accomplishing this morning in our lives. We want to be different this morning. As we spend time with you, we know it's inevitable, for that's the way your spirit works. So we submit to your word today. We ask that you teach us, that you change us, that you are glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a temptation, and and that's what I just mentioned a few minutes ago. There's a temptation, I think, that uh, we tend to think that loving our brother is not as important as being like Christ or living the truth. We think, well, loving our our brother, uh, living truth, that's, that's absolutely essential, isn't it? Being like Christ, that's the reality of our existence, isn't it? Loving our brother, is that optional? That's a, oh, what do we do with this? It's a nice idea. Uh, have you ever seen Christians in an argument? Probably not around here. First church I was a part of, and if I'm repeating stories, it's only because I've been here a while now and I could start doing that. All right? But uh, uh, the first church we were a part of, uh, it had just experienced a church split. Very bitter experience. I was young. I knew nothing. Absolutely nothing about being a pastor. I knew nothing about repairing a hurting church, restoring a congregation. So I figured, well, what do you do as a pastor? I, I didn't even know that, to tell the truth. So I thought maybe I should... Go out into the neighborhood around the church. We were right in the middle of a very populated location. And and I thought maybe if I just go around the neighborhood and introduce myself to the people, invite them to the church, uh, at least it's a way to start. And uh, I went to one of the very first houses that day. I knocked on the door and a lady came to answer the door. And I said, hi, I'm Pastor Bob Courtney, uh, the new pastor of the church on the corner. And that's as far as I got. The next words were, oh, that's a church that fights all the time. That's what they said. It alarmed me, to tell the truth, to hear that. But I saw it myself. It wasn't very long down the road that one Sunday morning after Sunday school, well, whatever the topic was in Sunday school, I wasn't teaching the Sunday school at the time. They were on book of Philemon. There's only 25 verses. How can you get in trouble with it? They had worked into a frenzy over something in that lesson. And the argument had broken out. and It it was carried all the way through the worship service. 
and into the parking lot. And I remember coming out the door and watching from both ends of the parking lot, two of the women yelling at each other at the top of their lungs, and one of them going, Yeah, but I got a Bible too! You know how nice that looked? What a town! What a, what a testimony! To see that. Then I found out later they had nicknamed uh, the Bible College in town, nicknamed our church the Pastor's Graveyard. Mm. Yeah. After all, loving your brother is optional, right? Well, let me, let me take you down a little bit of a road here. You can follow along in your Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 9. You're going to stay here in First John, I hope. But Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read to you, and it's going to sound like I'm going to read the whole chapter, and really that's practically what you got in front of you right now. But I want you to see a series of events and the outcome that comes from it. Mark chapter 9, start in verse number 1. Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them, along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to answer, for he, they were terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one there anymore except Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, he gave orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first, or first come, and restore all things. And yet, how is it written that the Son of Man, that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to him, and he asked them. Now, here's part of my interpretation, I believe. I think I'm right. Them, he asked the disciples. What were you discussing with them? All right, hold that little thought. What were you discussing with them? All right? Well, one of the crowd answered him, saying, Teacher, I brought to you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at his mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth, and he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. 
It is often thrown in both in the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him why they could not drive it out. And he said to them, This kind, kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. But he, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be killed. He will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement. They were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? This is the second time he's asked that question. He noticed it before. They've had this discussion going for a while. What is it? Verse 34. They kept silent. For on the way they had discussed which one, with one another, which of them was the greatest. Aha! Another scene. Just a little bit before the last week of Jesus in Jerusalem, before his death, starts in uh, Matthew 20, and this one's very short. Matthew 20, verse 20 through 24. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, and one on your left. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup which I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit at my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but to those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. After hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. You notice something there? How are these guys getting along? Aha. Here's another one. Matthew 26, verse number 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this? Waste. Another scene. Luke 22. Starts in verse number 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this, do this in remembrance of me. You've got the scene all of a sudden in your mind? We call it our communion service, the supper that the Lord shared with his disciples before he left, before he died. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. 
for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began discussing among themselves which one of them, them it might be that's going to do this thing. And there arose also a great dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. I almost laugh when I read that verse right there. A communion service, you know, we're quiet. We're reflective. We're thinking about what this means and all. What are they doing? They're saying, I'm better than you. (laughs) You know, can you almost picture that? At this table. Hours before Christ is crucified. And he knows what's on their heart. He sees it. Can't help but think how grieved he had to have been just to notice. They were disputing at that very moment which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Incredible, isn't it? Now, you may look at this and say, okay, Pastor, you just showed us like five different little scenes here, and not one of them is reflected very well on the disciples, have it? I mean, there's not one of these we'd say, well, I'd love to be one of those. How did the Lord look at these 11, as it's going to turn out to be, 11 men, and see it's possible that they could be united on one purpose, that they could look at each other as brothers, that they could love one another. We would look at it and say, that's an incredible vision you've got for these guys. Because their whole time together they disputed who's the greatest. At that very same table, these are the words that Jesus said in John 13, verse 33. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you. Now folks, when we start studying about loving our brother, guess what the standard is? Guess what we measure that by? You heard the words, didn't you? The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. If we're not on that level, then we're not doing what we're told to do. We are to love as Christ loved his disciples. High standard, isn't it? Okay, that's important. He says, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Does that sound optional to you? Not at all. This was a commandment, right? And then he adds this one verse. It's rather stunning. In verse 35 he says, By this, that's when we love one another as Christ has loved us, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is going to be a radical change in their life, isn't it? As you can see from the, the testimony of their, of their own lives recorded in Scripture. It's going to be so visible that they love one another. The world will stop and notice. By this, all men will know, he says. And the world will notice. And they will attribute that change to something only God could have done. Only God could have made these men into brothers and give them that ability to love. So Jesus prays for them. 
One more set of scriptures before we go to John. In John 17, these are the words of his prayer. And I want you to hear them very carefully. Verse 20 and 21. Here's one of the requests. John 17, 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, watch this, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay? That's his request. Now jump down to verse 22 and 23. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, here it comes again, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. You see a, a theme developing here? That the world may know, that the world may know, that the world may know. Verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may, may be in them, and I in them. Some 60 years later, the Apostle John is writing here in this epistle that we're studying here. And I can't help but think that these words were... were uh, Written in his mind and on his heart, he came to know what Christ had said. And he no doubt lived that way, but now he's writing to another group of people, believers, and he's telling them to do the exact same thing Jesus told them to do in that upper room. Love your brother. Love your brother. He's got to communicate that with us. See, In this, we have just put together some verses, and I'm going to just put them right next to each other right now so you hear it again. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, that they may be all one so that the world may believe you sent me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. These are the words that test your identity. Look at what John says. 1 John 3.10. Here's our verse today. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Hmm. Walk through it carefully with me. You can see this just as easily as, as I can. There are two groups mentioned in this verse, right? Two groups. First group, those who are children of God. What's the second group? You're afraid to say it. Those who are called children of the devil, right? They're both identified as as there's two groups. There are two actions mentioned in the verse. Those who practice righteousness and those who love their brother, right? You see the two actions? Those two actions identify who's in which group. 
Now, we've been talking about practicing righteousness for quite some time now, because that's really the first nine verses of this chapter. He's talking about our righteousness. We are to be righteous as he is righteous. We are to be pure as he is pure. And those kind of things we've been talking about. That's obvious, John says. Those who practice righteousness are children of God. True? If you don't say true, I'm going to start right back in verse 1, and we'll be here all day. It's true. Those who practice righteousness are identified as children of God. That's what we've noticed. Now he's going into the next handful of verses, talking about, and the other identifying mark is, do they love their brother? Do they love their brother? You see, those two thoughts, as much as we'd like to separate them, as much as we'd like to live like, well, I can be righteous and, and I don't have to worry about my brother. That doesn't work in this picture, in this identity. You can't separate those two phrases. You can't pick the one you like the best, okay? He wants us to both show, because both identify the child of God, that we are righteous, practicing righteousness, and we are loving our brother. Right, so there's no room to separate here with what he's teaching us. They're the same thing. Two actions identify which group you are belonging to. The two actions, doing righteousness and loving your brother. John goes so far to say the identification is obvious. Alright? It's obvious. This is... uh, Phineros in the Greek, which, which means to shine in the sense that somebody turns on a spotlight and shines it right on it. It's obvious. It's visible. It, it's used at times to say something is publicly displayed. You can see it. The whole world can see it. It's that kind of a, a concept where you might have the word manifest. You might have the word it's, it's well known. It's plainly recognized. You see, this identity is something that even from the world's eyes, they can see it. Even from their perspective, the identity of a child of God and a child of devil is plainly recognized by these two actions. (laughs) Now, God doesn't need... To, to watch to see if we're going to do these things to know our hearts. He already knows them, right? The world only sees our actions. These are the actions. The world is watching. And they can identify these things. It's visibly displayed before them. It's publicly displayed before them. Christianity is not a private activity. As two women stand in a parking lot waving Bibles at each other, screaming at the top of their lungs. The neighbors saw that. Didn't they? Yeah. And they knew it too. You see? There's an action. These actions stand out. They're quite visible. And notice something about the way he explains this in verse number 10. Everyone who is not doing righteousness is not from God. Everyone. You see that word? All? Who's excluded? (laughs) There's no wiggle room. There's no little loophole to get out of this one, is there? Everyone is addressed in this little verse. Everyone who is not doing righteousness is not from God. 
We are to be pure as He is pure. Hmm. We are to be like Him. So do our actions matter? Yes. Here's another thing. When we're talking about the issue of sin, as we did for several weeks, and, and uh, sometimes we view sin as, well, that's just my problem. It's a private problem. All right? It has nothing to do with anyone else. It's, it's my problem, and, and it deals with my fellowship with God. This actually goes to say it goes well beyond a personal issue. It goes into the realm of our identity before the world because he who does not practice righteousness is not of God. The world says it can't be true. Even the world would recognize that. You know, we don't like the fact that the world points us out. Honestly, we don't. We don't like to pull open the newspaper or something in the morning and read of some person uh, that we considered a Christian. Even for me, it's, it's horrifying to see Pastor so-and-so's name on the headlines and something they've done in the world saying, ha ha You know what? They notice the difference, don't they? They certainly do. And they're, they're just putting it up in the front of the world and saying, See? See? And maybe they use that to uh, condemn us at times. But the point is that the world does expect a lot more of us if we wear the name of Christ. They do. This verse is, is standing before us here this morning. And the whole nine verses we studied before it says that our believer is an indicator of our relationship with God. That's why we must be pure. That's why we must be righteous. That's why we must not sin. Because even the world could recognize that. I have a little... You might notice this on the back of the camper part of my truck. There's a little pastor sticker in the corner. That makes me very conscious of my driving. People get behind you and see a little pastor sticker there. They don't expect you to be going 95 and a 60, right? They don't expect me to cut them off on the road and blast my horn and all the rest too. Because they they say, oh, that's a pastor. It's even funny. Very few people want to pass me. Because that little sticker's on there. It, it comes in handy. Get one of those. You'd love it. But um, do our actions say anything? Let me ask you. Does your actions say anything? People look at you all week long. And you thought, well, this was a private exercise. Living like Christ. All week long you've been watched. You know it? Has your actions said anything to the world around you? Which group you belong to? Can they notice? John says, it's obvious. It's obvious. That's the first action. We've done a lot of work on that. But our second action here is the topic that we're moving into has to do with one who is not loving his brother. Jesus commanded us through his disciples, but he commanded us to love each other. Which of the two groups, the children of God or the children of the devil, will obey that command. Oh, you know it, don't you? Love our brother. Notice something here, and I, I, I've had to stop and think this through, because sometimes we go through so quickly, we just see the words and just move on by. Who's our brother? Now, I'm not playing that little game, who's my neighbor, okay? But who's, what do you mean by Brother. Brother. We, we know that people in this world consider everybody a brother somehow and, and universal concepts and stuff. But he's not talking about that, is he? 
talking about the children of God. But now, behold, now we are children of God. In the context, he's talking about a Christian brother, isn't he? Now, does that exclude all the women? Nah, it does not. It, understanding the concept that Greek uses, when, when they want to, to cover all women, they can put that in the feminine, in plural, and that's easy enough. But when they want to exclude everybody, they, they have only the masculine to gender to put that under. So they, when they talk about all men, they talk about everyone, both groups. When they talk about brothers, they put it in the plural, and that way it covers each group. And I hope that doesn't bother you, but that's just the way the Greeks wrote it. That's the way we translate it. Loving our brother. Those are the people you call members of your family, right? After all, they share the same family. They have the same father. Behold, what great love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Who is our brother? The believer in Jesus Christ. Why the brother address here? Why doesn't he say, why, why don't you uh, show the world that you're a child of God by loving the whole world? Now, there's probably other places we can go, but that's not what it says, right? Why doesn't he say, we can show the love of God and that we're children of God if we just love our enemy? Now, there's verses related to that. But why did he choose brother here? He was a disciple, right? Guess what he did for three and a half years? Wiggled his way up to who's the greatest, right? He was part of that. He heard these words that Jesus had taught. Where, let me ask you another question. Where is the safest place to learn to love your brother? Is it not in the family of the children of God? Where are we going to find grace? Where are we going to find the mercy? Where are we going to find forgiveness? Isn't that something we all share? What a perfect gymnasium to practice loving among other believers who also should be practicing loving. And another question. How is this world ever going to be attracted to the gospel, we who love God and we're His children, if we don't love one another? They look upon us and what we reflect to them is what they believe God thinks of them. If they only see us as fighting, would you like to join a group like that? Years ago, we joked about this. To tell the truth, it was more reality than not. I was part of the IFCA, and we had the abbreviations Independent Fundamental Churches of America, and our joke was, I fight Christians everywhere. Or always, always. It's like, ooh. Yeah, we had a few discussions in that group. Christian organization, right? What attracts the world? This gospel message we preach. God loves you. But we can't handle that. We can't love each other. But God loves you. Right? Interesting gospel we present. This is the visible evidence that we are his children. That's what John says. The visible evidence that we are his children. Our love for one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. You see, 
Our love is evangelistic. You say, but I'm not an evangelist. Oh, yes, you are. You're preaching a message in your action. Our love is evangelistic. The world will know. What are they going to know? That God sent the Son. Do you think that's an important doctrinal point? God sent His Son. Very important doctrine, right? You know what it's anchored to? (laughs) That they all may be one, so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. Boy, there's a lot riding on that little concept, isn't there? That they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me. Did you know that our, our reaction to one another solidifies and proclaims theology? The doctrine of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, is mentioned in our actions. What does the world know? If we love one another, this is what he says, the world will know. If we love one another, it will know that Jesus Christ was sent to this earth. Wow. If we love one another, the world will know that Jesus Christ loves us. If we love one another... The world will know that the Father loves His Son. Those were all in the verses I read to you this morning. You see, a lot is based on us loving one another, right? Does it sound optional yet? I'm going to keep checking you on that one. When we love our brother, we, we are doing what is right. We testify that we're children of God. This is our testimony. This is our identity. As far as the world is concerned. So here's the point of this study that we're walking through here. We need to be daily conscious of this, don't we? We need a daily reminder that this is what we're called to do. It's not a Sunday concept. It's an everyday concept. It's a, it's, as far as we are learning this, we are loved by God, we shall be like Christ, We need to keep our focus on Him, and we need to maintain our identity as those who love one another. We have to maintain that. Now, I haven't even told you how yet. That's in the next weeks to come, because John tells us that as we go. But I could stand here this morning and tell you story after story after story how brothers did not love one another. I would rather tell you story after story about how brothers did love one another. Now, of all the places, to be absolutely honest with you, the people of this church reflect that kind of love to me the most. I've seen it in you. I commend you for it. Honestly, I do. As a pastor, I'm just thrilled and glad to be a part of it. Thank you for doing this. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said the same thing to them. You're a labor of love. And he was thanking the Lord for it. And then he says, now, excel still more. So guess what? We're not at the plateau, are we? Let's keep going at it. Let's keep striving for it. Our love for a brother is not a natural thing. It's a divine thing. And the more you walk with Christ, guess what you become more like? Him. And guess what you learn to do? Love your brother. You see how they go together? It's essential that we consider that walking close to Christ 
being like him is part of loving our brother. It's our identity. I'm going to close with just a handful of words here from 1 John 4. If you just want to turn over to the next chapter, you'll see these. Verse 7 through 21, and I'm going to let them rest on you in the application. When it comes your way, you're going to know it. You're going to see it. And uh, we'll pray that the Lord does this in our lives. He says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His law is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Just as he is, so also we are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Heavenly Father, these words set right before our hearts this morning. You are the great evaluator of our lives, of our actions, of our attitudes, of our motives, of our ambitions. You know everything about us inside and out. There's nothing hidden from your sight, and we know that. And as we stand before you here this morning, Lord, we see this challenge, this call, this command that comes from our Savior's mouth and is required of us that we love our brother and you know, Lord, where we stand with that command this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you impress it upon us. Don't let us back away. Don't let us escape to some other topic. Don't let it, uh, uh, don't let it have its impact in our hearts. For we want to be like Christ. We want to know what He has called us to. And we want to know that we are obeying you. Help us in this, Lord. It's, it's hard. But it's not impossible. Because when we abide with you, we can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us. Challenge us thoroughly, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.